You're listening to Hope, the Advocacy and Empowerment Podcast. Join us as we break the silence and discuss a wide range of topics from domestic and sexual violence to self-care techniques. This podcast is provided to you by the Women's Center Incorporated of Southern Illinois, serving survivors of sexual and domestic violence since 1972. All services are free and confidential. Before we jump in, a note on our content. Here on the HOPE podcast, we discuss a wide range of topics, including depictions of sexual and domestic violence. We understand that these are topics that some may find disturbing, so please take care of yourself and don't hesitate to take a break. Whenever you're feeling ready and able, we hope you'll join us. So my name is Erin Fry. I am the Harrisburg Advocate. I am um, the Medical Legal Advocate. And here today we have uh, Marissa, who is our Administrative Assistant. Administrative Assistant. And today we're going to talk just a little bit about Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Uh, we're going to discuss uh, some of the things that are, you know, what we do at the center and just kind of talk a little bit about that today. So the first topic is what is Sexual Assault Awareness Month? And Marissa here is going to talk a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Sexual Assault Awareness Month or SAM is a month in is a month in April of each year um, intended to highlight the issues of sexual assault, some of the or trappings people fall into when thinking about it, raising awareness of what what the statistics and the facts on it actually are, and then having events associated with SAM to try and empower survivors uh, and, ed and educate people more generally away from a lot of the myths. So how important would you say that uh, being aware of Sexual Assault Awareness Month, like how important would you say that that is, especially for not only the Women's Center, but uh, for you personally? Mm -hmm. I think that it's really important, uh, both for myself personally, us as an organization, and for the general public, because I feel there is so much misinformation, so much victim blaming that goes on in the general community and society and whatnot. Um, for me, I know a lot of people personally who have been impacted by it, and so it's an important thing for me personally to see that, you know, my my friends or my family or whatever won't be victim blamed, that they'll be believed and they come forward with their stories. It's important us as a center for providing accurate, um, educated, and trauma-informed services. And it's important for the community because I think there's this general lack of education about, you know, consent, sexual assault, things like that. Because they're not necessarily, like, fun topics to go about in school or whatever. But it's really important that people are aware of what what behavior is acceptable and what, and what, activities, have, what activities are actually harmful to others. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think that that's so important, you know, not only for us as a center, but for, I think that sexual assault awareness month can impact people personally. It can impact them on, you know, like you said, like a work level, it impacts our communities. So it's really important to be, you know, talking about these really hard conversations and bring awareness to something that, like you said, isn't, 
mm-hmm. isn't always uh, talked about, especially in school. So thank you so much for uh, for answering that question for me. So uh, tell me a little bit more about the types of things that we usually do during Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Um, I, I know that we uh, we always do uh, our clothesline project. So tell me a little bit about um, what the clothesline project is, because I think some people have heard about it, but maybe don't completely understand exactly what it is. So do you mind explaining? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So when I when I first saw a clothesline project years ago, um, I spent six years at the university here. And I would see it sort of in the back, but I was never really sure what it was until I sort of got involved with the center. Um, it's not just a bunch of clothes hanging up to dry. It's supposed to be symbolic of what people really go through on like a human level. Um, sometimes sometimes it'll have you know different colors of clothes to represent different things whether it's you know child child abuse or elder abuse or whether it's against people specific demographics races ethnicities genders stuff like that um, in other instances it's just people survivors of violence um, donate or get similar clothes to what they were wearing when they were assaulted and this is largely to dispel the myth that you know anyone's dress or attire has anything to do with their assault. There's this really uncomfortably common sort of myth about sexual assault. It's part of this larger victim blaming narrative where people say that, oh, well, if she didn't want, she shouldn't have dressed that way. We know, of course, that's not true. And when you see these clothes, it's just, it's just normal clothes. It's not, it's, you know, it's not anything terribly liberal or revealing. Um, And especially when you see children, and especially when you see children's clothes on this, I think it really sort of puts a human face and a human dimension uh, to the issue of sexual assault because it's not just people at parties being taken advantage of or drugged or assaulted. Um, it happens to people of all ages, you know, elder people's clothes, you know, really, really little kids' clothes. Um, we've, we've had clients who are like under five years old um, that have been victims of assault. And so I think having these sort of average everyday clothes that people have been assaulted in and shown Mm -hmm. helps dispel the myth that, you know, that a person's attire is responsible for what happened to them. Right. Yeah, that's so important to talk about because we, I feel like, especially on social media, we often see posts, um, especially after the Me Too movement, um, about different people's clothes um, that, like you said, they were like children's clothes or uh, dresses or, you know, like children's dresses. Uh, it could be just jeans and a T-shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I think, really telling to kind of just put you, like you said, in that, in that place and be like, no, these are real people going through these issues. And it had no, nothing to do with what they were wearing. Um, I also really like the clothesline project because, um, there's a certain, there's actually a color associated with each type of abuse. Um, some have white for if they lost a family member to violence. Um, some are like say blue for uh, child abuse. Um, some are green for sexual abuse. Yellows domestic violence. And um, we've had members of the community make these T-shirts um, or just shirts in general that talk about uh, their story, and they get the chance to um, get it out there and create the type of art on a shirt. Um, and it's very powerful um, going and reading these survivors' stories, and I think it it means a lot to the survivors that 
uh, make the shirts, but I think it also means a lot to the community uh, who look at the shirts and, and get the chance to read their stories. Mm-hmm. All right, so I know something else that we've got going on for Sexual Assault Awareness Month is uh, Take Back the Night. So, Marissa, could you explain a little bit about what Take Back the Night is? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So Take Back the Night is usually a march held in mid to late evening. Um, As the name implies, it's supposed to make make people, especially those female presenting, uh, feel feel safer in the evening. Um, if nothing else, just being being in a crowd that's understanding and accepting, that's willing to listen to you know the stories that survivors have throughout their various experiences. But one of the common, another one of those um, myths or part of the victim blaming narrative is that well, you know, she shouldn't have been out alone at night. Which that's, that that behavior, that type of saying wouldn't be applied to any other crime, mm-hmm. realistically. And it's another one of those things where it's coming up with every reason. Blame, the, blame everyone except the perpetrator. Right. And that's the only person whose actions would actually lead to an assault and the ones that actually deserve to blame mm-hmm. rather than looking for every single thing um, that could possibly blame a survivor for. Take Back the Night usually has speakers in it, and we've had speakers before uh, who have been part of either the domestic violence or the sexual assault awareness uh, programs here at the Women's Center. We usually have a march, um, a few speakers, and a bit of a gathering, you know, snacks, briefs, just Something to, something to sort of celebrate feeling safe in our own skin, feeling empowered um, in a group that we know is supportive. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it says a lot whenever so many people get together, especially at nighttime. With like you said, uh, that's whenever a lot of assaults do happen. Is at night. Um, now, of course, it's not not just happen at night, but it does kind of, I guess, uh, combat that narrative that, oh, well, you know, like you said, she shouldn't have been walking around at night or, oh, she was asking for it. And uh, I think that that, I think it says a lot, um, having that kind of an event just to support uh, those people. So awesome. So Marissa, tell me a little bit more about volunteering. I know you were a volunteer for a really long time. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I was I was really thrilled to be able to volunteer at the Women's Center. It was a really great mission. Um, I had a really wonderful experience with lots of really great coworkers, and you know the work was the work was difficult, but it was really emotionally rewarding in a way that I never had a job make me feel before. I volunteered for a little bit over a year, and in that time, I went on twenty five hospitals. Wow. Uh, yeah, I was on call for I think forty two days. Oh my gosh. In the course of a few months. Um it, it's really challenging emotional labor at times when you're with someone which could be, you know, one of the really low points in their life. Um, but it's it's extremely rewarding to and it's kind of a self esteem boost to feel a lot better about who you are knowing that you are able to be a caregiver and that you can be a shoulder for crime for someone that you and that you're able to provide someone who's really in a lost place at times with the resources to get them through it. It's always a really great feeling um, when you leave a hospital or a fortress or whatever, um, knowing that the person is doing better off than when they came in. So tell me a little bit more, because, you know, you talk about volunteering. What types of things did you typically do? I know you mentioned a hospital. So can you tell me a little bit about what those uh, what those look like? Yeah, yeah. So I did a bunch of different things, volunteered uh, in both programs at the Women's Center, domestic violence, Great crisis services programs. Um, 
for the sexual assault program, it was a lot of helping out with events, helping prepare things. Um, just there were some routine tasks like helping helping sort files or getting input. But the direct service was really much more easy, and it was really formative. Uh, I think to sort of my identity of myself. Um, typically, how the hospital visits would go would be you'd be on call, um, and you would get a call at some hour of the day or night. I could call anywhere from you know six in the morning to eleven fifty nine at night for a free walk call. Of course, <laughs> uh, yeah, of course, I had several of those uh-huh. in the middle of the night. Uh, so what you do is you get a call um, that there's been a sexual assault, and someone's come to the hospital to take various services. Sometimes they want to file a police report. Sometimes they just want to get an evidence collection kit. Sometimes a rape kit, kind of derogatorily. Uh, and sometimes they just want someone to talk to or get some medicine or some follow-up care uh, after experiencing such a deep trauma like that. Right. Uh, it, it's usually a, it's a relatively sort of informal process on our part. We go and we, we provide them with some resources. Uh, we provide some emotional support to them so going through this difficult part of their life. Uh, we sort of explain, like, uh, we explain their rights in a certain way. We we reinforce the idea that you know everything that goes on there is their as at their discretion and their choice. Sexual assault robs someone of all feelings of having any control and power over their lives, and yeah. so we want at least that go out of the hospital um, to at least give them as much power and control over their lives as possible um, to avoid re-traumatizing them. Wow. And what, what I think a difference, like you said, it really does make to the people that are there, um, just having, having somebody there during those hard times. And I think that that just goes to show how important, um, our work is and also how important it is, you know, to be a volunteer and to get out in the community and, you know, be aware of, of things like Sam and just do everything that you can. Uh, in the community. So So what would you tell people um, listening to this podcast? What would you say to people in our community and maybe to, um, you know, people who don't live in our community per se, but in other communities um, about Sexual Assault Awareness Month or uh, Rape Crisis Center? Do you have anything you'd like to tell other people? I definitely want to highlight the importance of, you know, of educating yourself as best as possible, whether it's going to some events, listening to them, uh, or just reading books, uh, listening to audiobooks, stuff like that. Sort of learning, uh, learning sort of like what behaviors, just making sure like we're all, we're all performing acceptable behavior. it is important for people to know that, you know, this resource exists. Uh, everything at the Women's Center is free of charge to our clients. Uh, it's a really important resource for people in the eight counties of Southern Illinois that we serve. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Marissa. Uh, it means a lot just getting to sit here and kind of listen to your story and kind of, you know, listen to see what it's like to be a volunteer and to uh, be in the community. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you.